0: We didn't want to waste the time we had on intro stuff. So Roy Wood Jr. is a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He's the host of Comedy Central's hit storytelling show, This Is Not Happening, and he contributes to ESPN's Sports Nation. Name a late-night show. He's done it. He co-starred for two seasons on TBS's Sullivan & Son, he's on Def Jam, Last Comic Standing, and he's a nationally touring headliner with two specials and a debut album in his body of work. Thank you, Roy. For giving us your time and for sharing your helpful tips, your dirty tricks, and some stellar comedy advice for working with the real subjects that challenge conventional morality, and thank you, Mona, for everything you do. Let's start the show. Stand up, comic, joke it up one time. Fun day. Uh Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's
1: talk about you and me. Let's talk
0: about. All right. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sets. This is a stand-up comedy nerdcast all about the science and craft of stand-up comedy. I am your host, Jeff McBride, and I don't know what people have been saying, but I am capable of chilling out Mm -hmm. pharmaceutically. (laughs) And with me, as always, is the most lovably charming, smartest, most insightful doofus of a man-child that I know, Harrison Tweed. Hi, how are you guys doing? And also with us today is Roy Wood Jr., who you might know from the legendary Tallahassee radio station Hot 105.7. HT
2: 105.7, <laughs> North Florida, South
0: Georgia's number one for
2: hip-hop and R&B and oldies on the weekend.
0: The uh, <laughs> theme today is morality, and we're going to get started with a bit by Roy Wood Jr., and it's called Love Snitchin', and that's from his 2019 album No One Loves You.
2: Pay cops more money. Money is part of the solution. It ain't the only solution, but it's part of it. Here's the thing. We love to act like all these good cops just going to all step up and do the right thing together. Please. Most people don't do the right thing for the right reason. They do the right thing for the right price. It's about the money. And don't get me wrong. There's plenty of good cops out there, man, but not enough to affect change. You got to do something to incentivize. You got to break bread. And don't, and don't tell me you ain't got the money to pay cops more. Every time somebody get hit over the head, you got to pay a settlement. So take the money you would have paid for a settlement and just put that in the cops' pockets. And they might care a little more. At minimum, just set up a snitch fund. Can we do that?
0: People don't do the right thing for the right reasons. They do it for the right price, or most people. And that is yeah, like... most people, yeah. You, but you hear, you can hear the audience go... Yeah.
2: It's <laughs> fucked up, but it's true. I mean, I, but I'm trying to be more funny than of course, right. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. And that's the problem with a lot of the bits that I've been kind of drifting into lately is that it's a, the balance of right to funny isn't always there. But that bit, I need to set up all of the tent poles mm-hmm. before I go to Crazy Town. Right. Right. So right. and it's it gets so fun. Cuz I've already started it with the counterstatement of pay cops more and that was filmed in Chicago um in the audience I'd say the audience was probably 70% black. Mm-hmm. So to tell black people in Chicago that cops need more money. Oh. You know, it's it's a lot. Yeah, you're starting from a negative place at that bit, which I enjoy. I enjoy mm-hmm. digging the hole and then finding the way out of it. But to do that, you've got to set up each little tent pole mm-hmm. and then circle back around and connect the dots. With, with right. funny,
0: all right. So let's listen to a little bit more, and then we've got plenty of questions on it.
2: Don't pay every cop more; just the cops who snitch on the other cops. That's who you pay. A hundred thousand, hundred thousand per snitch. Got police departments paying 200 300 million a year you put a hundred thousand person i promise you if you started giving cops a hundred thousand to snitch on other cops they would be arresting each other at roll call <laughs> immediately you wouldn't even make it at the police station in the morning put your hands up sanchez i saw what you did sanchez Gotta get 100,000. Should I need 200,000? Arrest me too, Sanchez. <laughs> Got to go down. Put 100,000 on it. It'll change everything, I promise you. Because you ain't gonna break through that thin blue line just off of morals. Real cops don't snitch on other cops real cops stand tall you ever, you ever notice all that brotherhood fraternity shit it's for jobs where you're underpaid and nobody appreciates you <laughs> so so it, it's cop and school teacher and military it's firefight it's all these jobs where you do dope shit but no one respects you so they tricked you into thinking that fraternity is a substitute for currency and it ain't <laughs> pay them give them some money because here's what happens You start giving cops more money to snitch on each other, it's a good-paying job. Anybody with a good-paying job knows you snitch immediately. (laughs) Ain't no brotherhood in a job that pay you a real wage. People snitch left and right. You ever notice doctors don't stick together? (laughs) Doctors snitch on each other in a heartbeat. Every year in this country, somebody get the wrong leg chopped off, or the doctor leave a butter knife inside you. (laughs) bunch of doctors in the emergency room talking about real doctors don't snitch on other doctors <laughs> We're still like no that nigga chopped off the leg <laughs> come get his ass <laughs> and she gave him too much anesthesia you get over there with the doctor <laughs> <laughs> shit if you was giving police a hundred thousand per snitch I'd become a cop For real, I'd be the first millionaire rookie police officer. (laughs) First day, snitching, everybody. I don't give a damn. Not only would I snitch, I'd brag about it. I'd be a proud snitch. I'd be in the club, VIP, bottles, just, yeah, good, good. I'd be out there snitching, what's good, boo, you good? (laughs) Give a damn, it'd be a family tradition find out my son going to college. I kick in his door. What's this shit I hear about you trying to get an education? (laughs) You ain't going to college, boy. I'm a snitch. Your mama's a snitch. And you gonna be a goddamn snitch. (laughs) Right. You got to make snitching a tradition. You got to make it something flashy. You got to show people that doing the right thing isn't something to be embarrassed about. We got to make snitching great again. (laughs) That might not be the best slogan.
0: (laughs) There's so many like good, great turns of phrase in there. But what I absolutely love about it is you're flipping values. Here's snitching where you don't snitch. That's a value. That's a moral that people have. And you're flipping it for a greater value, for a greater moral. What if we paid you more for it and you're doing the right thing? And all of a sudden, like now, and then you you take it a step further and then you make it like an entire family. We all do this now.
2: Yeah, it's a glamorous thing. Right? Making money is considered a respect. Money is seen as status. If you're paid enough, we will somehow figure out a way to respect what it is you do. There's some shady fucking investment bankers. There's there's lots of shady motherfuckers on Wall Street. But somehow the perception of that occupation is status Mm -hmm. because it's money. So it's money that we respect. So just if you assign money to snitching, that'll take a lot of the stigma off of it in a professional cop capacity. I don't know what it would do in the streets, but you know, I just think that that's, it's one way to try and get people to agree with it, which is for me, for me, the goal is to get you, George Carlin used to do something I always respected, which was he could make you laugh at something even if you didn't agree with him. Yeah. And I'm not in that ballpark, I don't think, but I do try to force people. If the issue is apples and oranges, I try to present a third... Pineapples. Prism. Pineapples, whatever. Like, what about pineapples? Well, we got, we need more... Cop regulation. Take the guns away from the cops. Have we talked about paying them more? What? <laughs> yeah, just pay them more. Just give them more money. You got the money. Anytime you shoot people, you pay the money. So why don't you just give that money to the cops instead of a dead family?
0: When you're developing material, from listening to all the other things where you've talked about this, it seems like um, you start with, I want to talk about this issue. Now I want to make it funny. As opposed to, Oh, here's this funny thing. Let me see if I can shoehorn that into something that I want to talk about. Correct.
2: Right. starts It starts with here's something nobody else has started. So when I started stand up, when I first first started, uh, the goal for a black comic was to be on BET's Comic View. And so, you know, I started in 98. And so this is the back end of the black comedy boom. Comic View is still a viable television credit. And I got turned down a couple times um, when I submitted. And I only been doing it two, three years. I didn't have no business. I didn't have no business on Comic View when I finally got on Comic View. But at the (laughs) time, like any comic, you feel slighted and you're angry. Fuck them. I'm funny. Well, what the fuck are these motherfuckers talking about? Well, I need to see what they talking about. So for a year... I watched Comic View every night. And for the listeners who don't know what BET's Comic View was, um, late 90s, early 2000s, BET aired a comedy program five nights a week featuring eight comedians per night. That's 40 comedians a week week for 20 weeks. So the metrics on the volume of comedians that appeared on that program, and some of them were repeats, some of them were comics you saw again with jokes that you didn't see the first time you saw them and all of that. But – a minimum of two hundred comedians. So the focus group was two hundred, and I broke every comedian down by topic, oh, and shit. I kept a running tab for an entire season of Comic View of what topics were discussed. Is that
0: a curiosity? Do you just have a ton of spreadsheets? Not a <laughs> lot. It's, oh, this wasn't even electronic. I was writing. This is handwritten.
2: <laughs> so there's notebooks. I still got the notebook. Uh, I got the notebook shit. at the house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it was. Were you good at school? The last two years of college, I got better. I was dean's list, but up until then, I had like a tutu. Oh, wow. I was a very shitty student. Uh And then just fucking. What shifted to make you this good of a student? Yeah, you're such a student of comedy. It was, this was the only thing that I had. So when I started stand-up, I was on probation. I got arrested. Right, yeah. Mm. We've, we've so yeah, so you little, know the yeah. backstory. So yeah, for, I got the, arrested. for the
0: listeners, listen to any one of his other podcast appearances. Yeah. This is like a wonderful story, but I don't want to get into yeah, it. Yeah. The
2: long, the long and short is that I was on probation for stealing, and this was the only thing that I had that made me happy and kept me out of being a fuck-up. Mm. So I'm going to be good at this. So how can I approach this? Strategically, You can just be funny, but all right, if this is everything everybody else is talking about and that's what I'm competing against, then I'm not going to talk about any of that shit. Right. So awesome. that's what made me think that you
0: start from because that's what it implied hearing you talk about that process of all. They're all talking about this. I ain't talking about that. That made me think, okay, this guy starts from,
2: I want to talk about this topic and then goes about making it funny. Or this topic from this angle mm-hmm. and let's attack it from a way no one else has done right. before. So to answer the question, Comic View was the genesis of that. So, oh, wow. I, so the next year I wrote nothing but stuff that wasn't on the spreadsheet uh-huh. and I booked the show just off, just off the originality. You have to fuck with me Whoa. because nobody else is black right. that's talking about these topics. So... That became how I started writing material. And I took that same concept and applied it to premium blend and more broader standup that I saw on late Boy, night. What is that process like? You say, okay, I want to talk about police reform. Then what's next for you? Uh, research. So I'll watch, I try to consume at least an hour to two hours of media on the subject that i wanted to discuss so that's youtube videos it could be a book it just almost YouTube.
1: like a google alert type of thing.
2: yeah yeah a mental just, google alert yeah <laughs> i'll just go on vice and watch a bunch of police ride-along videos i will watch Shit. other i'll watch all the talking head shows because what i need to know the first thing i need to know to answer the question i'm going to talk about this subject cool what the fuck has already been said about it so that i make sure that i don't say those things or I create material that pushes back against those conventional ideologies. Mm. What does everybody already believe about this subject? Cool. Well, let me, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example of a bit that I'm working on now that I'm not sure will even make it and graduate to the pros for me because it's too close to something from my last special. I'm trying to make the case for defending Donald Trump, not going to Vietnam. People call Trump. The premise is that yeah. people call, we all acknowledge how bad the troops have it. We all acknowledge how bad it is for troops when they come home and they get out of the war. But then we also call Trump a draft dodger as an insult, as if he should have gone to the war. Well, it would seem to me that Trump was pretty, probably the smartest fucking thing he did (laughs) was not go to Vietnam and come home fucked up like everybody else who got lied to by the country. Mm -hmm. So the next question becomes, well, if he avoided Vietnam, what did you, what, what exactly did he avoid? So I watched a 10 hour Ken Burns Vietnam documentary on mm. Netflix Christ. before I even start constructing the joke. I need to know everything about Vietnam so that now to help get you on board, I need to explain to you just how deeply fucked up Vietnam was mm. to help make you understand that Knowing what you knew now, you would be like, Whoo, thank God I didn't do that. Like mm. you would fucking feel lucky. Mm-hmm. And then you start exploring, which led me to explore how um how war is marketed to the populace. So then I started looking at movies, and the predominance of movies that are set in war are either World War II or the Middle East, the ones we won. Oh, yes, or yes. Where we're the hero and we <laughs> kick yeah. ass. Mm-hmm. Which leads me down another rabbit hole of research of okay. Well, what are the Vietnam movies about? So I watch one or two Vietnam movies, read the spoilers for 10 more. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every movie, every movie that American media has released that is set in Vietnam. The premise of the movie is get the fuck out. <laughs> yes. It's not yeah. stay and fight. Yeah. It's not stay and fight and we're tough and we're going to go down to the last man. These colors no. don't run. No, it's, yeah. oh shit, here they come. Where the fuck is the chopper? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Every Vietnam movie is where the fuck is the chopper? Mm. We got to get the... Even Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I was
1: just thinking about that. <laughs> Tropic <laughs> <The> Thunder. <laughs> one scene in... Yeah.
2: Tropic Thunder is a classic, we got to get the fuck out. Yeah. We got to find the person we're looking for oh, and get the fuck so out.
0: You look for these themes. You're like, okay, what can I... How can I distill this? Or you just notice well, the Sometimes one,
2: one that. thing leads to the next thing. Uh-huh. If I don't watch the Kim Burns doc and then I start thinking about war movies then I never have that thought about Vietnam movies. And though then you start thinking about movies set in Vietnam, you go, Oh, you know what else? There's not a lot of fucking video games set in Vietnam. Mm. Mm. And now you're down a whole nother rabbit hole Uh, of looking at how video games are part of the propaganda of recruitment for war. And and so now what you have are all of the points and all of the, 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 the shell, I have a shell of a bit, that can help support the thesis statement which is Vietnam was fucked up. Vietnam is so fucked up they can't even make a movie about it where we won. They can't even make a video game about it. They can't So now you know all of this stuff is fucked up and then you find out a guy dodged that shit yeah, that man is a goddamn smart. That's the smartest. Yeah. Like, he should have ran on that Trump. That Trump. <laughs> Trump's platform should have been. I saw Vietnam coming. That's why I didn't go. Oh, that's fine. I'm your president because I knew that the government and, and if he'd have flipped it like that, he'd have gotten more Democrat votes. He'd have fucking beat the shit out of Hillary. And, and so that's that's the basic. To just give you an example of that. and that's way, a bit I'm working what on right he now. He did
0: about that's which is exactly what he did about his taxes. If you recall, he was like he's like yeah I didn't pay taxes because I'm smart. Yeah, because I'm smart. I I I avoided paying
2: stupid taxes because <laughs> I'm smart and I work the system. That's the, for me in building a bit that goes counterintuitive to the zeitgeist. That's the easy part. The hard part now is taking all of that. They don't care about the troops and they didn't do mm-hmm. nothing for nah, 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 and making that part funny. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the it, next. Because then it's preachy and I'm not up right. here to preach right. at the end of the day. If you're not laughing, I'm not doing my job. Exactly. Period. All this come up here and be right. Clap to shit. Yeah. Doesn't work for me. So yeah. that's
0: one of my questions I wanted to ask you. So I'm right. Comedy sucks. How do you specifically avoid it?
2: You can feel it on stage in the audience and then usually I'll pivot out of the bit you know and there's there's pieces of jokes that that where you go no this needs to be said and sometimes if you're saying something and i don't say this in an arrogant sense this is just more of a uh, oh for the comedians listening watch the show on that geo called brain games um Brain Games is a show that breaks down how the human brain processes information and stimuli. And one of the things I learned from that show is that if you're giving someone something to think about, something to legitimately chew on, you have to talk slower. I need to give you more time to process the premise and the complexity of what I'm trying to construct. Before I can go into joke land, which is why the front half of that cop bit has to be slow and very this. And we should snitch. I would snitch. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we all snitch? I would be a rich snitch. Like you have to yes. slowly work towards that place. And so it's, it doesn't bother me much when people don't laugh, especially when it's new. Cause you just, it's all under construction. And thankfully the comedy community has enough new joke nights to where you can go and suck in a sterile environment without penalty, you know, without somebody recording it or without them thinking that you suck as a whole, as a performer. Once I get a hold of a thread, it just becomes a hyper analytical sense of that issue and anything about it. Like now I'm down the rabbit hole of how when veterans Um, when they bring out veterans at sporting events Mm -hmm. and the whole, it's either a young veteran who just got back and it's some welcome home, kumbaya shit, golden retriever jumps on him or it's an old vet who's too old to talk. (laughs) Yes. But it's never anybody in the middle of really dealing with PTSD and having their meds cut and waiting on their VA benefits. You don't invite him to the game. Cause you know, he's going to say some shit, Yeah, you know, he's going to snatch that microphone, which rolls into a bit that I'm trying to do. I don't know if it's going to ever work. Um, just about how, how triggering a sporting event is. If you have PTSD from the jets to the gun salutes, yes. the fucking people in the dugout looks like some fucking, it looks like a trench. All you can see is people's eye. So that's, that's more crazy town. Yeah. I think
1: you've talked about this on another podcast. You said like football is like a simulation of war. Is that something you yeah,
2: said? Yeah, football is a simulation of it's, war. It's and much like the vets, when you, you retired, they don't care about your health. Yeah, yeah. But that's not funny. That's, yeah. Just, yeah. that's, that's just saying sad. you don't care about concussions yeah. and you don't care about the vets, which is a true statement. But there's got to be, for me, there has to be something mm-hmm. funny in that because otherwise you're just leaving on a... Mm, yeah, of course. Of course. and, and our, Yes. And, but I think that you
0: are really, really good at bringing up topics that push people's values, but making sure that the funny comes first. In some of your earlier work, it looked like it was just, just funny for the most part. Oh, you're like, just trying to get
2: on. You're talking right, Conan right. and Letterman. and mm-hmm. Right.
0: Now you're at this other place where people come out to see you to hear what you have to say. They know you're going to be funny, but they also are curious about your perspective.
1: Kind of like the reason we watch shows like The Daily Show or like Colbert. It's like we want to know what Stephen Colbert or John Stewart or Trevor Noah has to say about
2: this. It comforts us. And you kind of have that. What is as that a like up. and
0: what's the journey from one to the other?
2: You're raised as a young comic to believe that you need five funny minutes on network television to book a comedy club gig that pays well enough for you to have a sustainable career, assuming you never book a sitcom. So, the material that gets you on late night doesn't... For the most part, it can't have any real teeth to it, because most late night shows aren't going to let you just come out there and go, Vietnam was a... a, Fucking pay the cops more. Like, they just... I get horrified at that type of material, but you do that and do it. Well, that's the stuff that gets you rebooked every year, which keeps you sustained as a road comic as I was for the first decade of my career. Um, what were your jokes like at the first,
1: in the first decade of your career? Like what were they usually harping on?
2: Well, I started at 19. So the first five to six years was just college, you know, my Girls roommates drinking. and I love to drink and, Sport and I'm I'm in the process of digitizing old VHS tapes of some of my old shit. I, I saw those on Instagram. And those are great. Those jokes are so terrible, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so terrible. But they got me through. Yeah. You know. Um, Do you like the, some of them? Yeah, I they were good at the time. It's like someone you used to date. It's like yeah, you got me through that yeah period of Do you my have life. Any, could you tell us maybe one? I'm that trying was, like, to think a quick like joke. a terrible one. I had a yeah, roommate. <laughs> it's a terrible one. Man, my roommate, my roommate eat my food, but he don't eat all my food. I had seven up. This motherfucker drank six of them.
1: <laughs> God, <laughs> that's a very that's black circuit, quick, stupid yeah. joke. That's, that's really that. funny. I love Because
2: a lot of black comedy. Starts in a real place and goes to the extreme fanatical.
1: I I remember, yeah. It's like I uh, I bought this uh, this watch in in Times Square. I thought it was a Rolex. It said Relax, like that kind yeah, of thing. I exactly. I like, do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, funny. It's funny to think of you doing that kind of material, yeah. like in the yeah, place you are now. My
2: dad was cheap. I went to the amusement park and got thirsty. I had to get on a water ride with my mouth open. <laughs>
1: That's, that's you had a good
2: time? You still thirsty? Well, ride that motherfucker again. Yeah. That's funny. That kind of
1: has like a danger-filledness to yeah. it also.
2: Yeah, there's some black cadence. There's, there's, there's some Def Jam elements to you know, stylistically to the delivery yeah. or whatever, but that was stuff that was just universal and worked. I just talked about myself mm-hmm. starting out, and then when I moved to LA, you start figuring out, oh, well, that type of material is fine, but to me, comedy boils down to, to, to for me, Mm -hmm. comedy boils down to two types of jokes. Who are you as a person? Or how do you feel about something? And any joke that you do should define one of those two parts of your existence. It should inform. I should inform you about one of those two quadrants of me. Who am I? Or how do I feel? That's it. And if Mm -hmm. the joke doesn't accomplish either of those things, then it's a bad joke. And so once I kind of had that mandate in mind, it really changed the type of material that I did or how you word it. Cause you could keep a joke, but you know, to just go, my dad was cheap and he wouldn't buy me food in an amusement park. So we had to sneak food into an amusement park. That doesn't tell you shit about me. And it, I didn't tell you how I felt about it. So if to make that joke work now, I would have to delve deeper into that's a joke about fatherhood and the things that I learned from my father and whether or not I'll instill those values in my son mm-hmm. and then go into the journey of what my father did and then connect that to my insecurities about being a father now and how much of what my father taught me was good parenting or I just rose above it, thankfully. And should I not pass those traditions on to my son? Mm-hmm. Should my son taste wonderful Dasani or should he drink disease chlorinated water (laughs) as I once did? Maybe did that help my care? So that's the exploration that I would take a joke on now that when I have the germination of the first thought, Mm. whereas back then it was just, ah, fuck it. But once I started realizing oh to get an hour special or to get half hours, I kept getting turned down by comedy central for half hour specials. Um, starting in like 06 or 07, I kept submitting every year and getting denied. So I go back and I start looking at the people that got greenlit and it was only 12 comics a year. Mm. And I looked at a three year birth of comedians that got greenlit for half hours. And the one consistent thing amongst all of them is even if they weren't funny to me, they were at least original. Mm. Or they at least had a different perspective, yeah. On and Scott. in order
0: to ensure that you were being original, you had to know what was out there, and you also had to make sure that you, what you were expressing was you.
2: Correct. And so that then it became less of the original comment view mandate, which is don't touch those topics. It's no, if that's the topic everybody's talking about, what's my angle on it? What's my take on it? Mm. What's my way into that topic? And so if I make that tweak to my act then that should get me the traction that I'm not getting right now. Because just getting late night was cool, but it was getting to a point where that wasn't, that was a plateau. Yeah. I plateaued. So, you know, this realization that the material needed to evolve into something that had more perspective and something deeper.
1: Isn't that kind of what they tell you about when, I don't know when you got uh, JFL new faces for the first time, Mm -hmm. but The one thing we've heard from everyone that's done that is you have to do like you should open with something that identifies who you are. It's like the most identifying like, uh, like, hey, uh, I think Jordan Carlos, the example I heard was Jordan Carlos, like I'm a preppy black guy. That's how and then like he didn't even have a very good set that night, but he got it because it was so ingrained in his set, who he was as a person by his material. Yeah. Do you remember what you did on your JFL audition?
2: 2006. That might identify um, what you're talking about. My 2006 set, the one joke that I remember for sure is that Latinos do yard work, which is fine by me. That's part of the hazing process of minorities. <laughs> if you're going to be a minority in this country, you got to do yard work. Um, Asians built railroads. We're
0: going to play that bit. Oh, you found that one? Where the it. fuck
2: did you find it? A... That's on your first album. Oh. If that's okay that we play that. I remember that. I was just funny. I didn't have enough identity at JFL. <laughs>
0: We didn't get to it during the recording, so here's the bit. It's really good. We just we ran out of time because Roy just kept talking and talking and sharing his wisdom and experience with us so generously. Ugh, so I couldn't do the show the right way. I'm sorry. Here it is. America Hazes Minorities Live. This is from his 2013 album, Things I Think I Think.
2: The Latinos are cool with me anyway, man Hell, you come over and do yard work You should get some rights That's part of the hazing process of America <laughs> Do they not pick fruit and work fields and shit now? That's what you have to do If you're a minority in this country And you want some rights and some freedom Damn it, you gotta go pick some shit You gotta work a field just can't come over here getting rights right away What the hell you think this is, man? Don't stare at me like that. (laughs) Open up a history book. I'm spitting truth. Indians, Indians did y'all. Indians are the ones who taught the pilgrims about crop rotation. Indians showed the pilgrims what to plant when so that they wouldn't fucking starve to death. Plymouth Rock. Black people, I'm pretty sure you've heard about the agriculture we chipped in. Asians built railroads. It's only fair to Latinos come over here and grab an orange or a tomato. Go pick that shit. It's your turn. Here's your bag. Field number seven. Chop, chop. That's why I trip off of Arabs. You can't even have a movie with an Arab terrorist in it without them getting on TV bitching. As soon as the movie come out with a couple of Arab villains in it. CNN, Bill Rock. <laughs> uh, the, the American movie portraying the Arabist terrorists. Why do you do that to the Arab people? The Arab people are peaceful people. But the American movie they perpetuate the post-9-11 study of time. You make it hard for Muslim religion to thrive in America. Muslim religion, peaceful religion. But the American movie, <laughs> you make it hard. And the people vandalize the mosque. They, do, they throw rocks at the people. Why Why do, why, why do the American people hate us? Because you didn't pick no fruit, huh? <laughs> Bill number seven. Look, all these jokes have been approved by the Negro Joke Coalition, okay? All this tension in the room, I like it. This means we're making progress.
0: I wanna talk a little bit about morality and this distinction between like right and wrong or good and bad behavior. So there's like some serious levels between why in the world are you acting like this versus why is the world acting like this? And in my opinion, your best bits marry those two. Does that that check out for you? Yeah, I understand
2: what you're saying. I never thought about it like that. I'm definitely critiquing behavior in society, Mm -hmm. questioning why we do certain things. Mm -hmm.
0: And as a society, and then also in individuals. And I'll, I'll see you take that... One individual behavior and then expand it out to show some sort of, I don't know, inconsistency in a moral stance uh, based off of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I got a bit
2: that I'm trying to cook now that is exactly in that. Okay. Can we talk about it? The basic premise is that boycotting is too hard and that corporate boycotts are good. But there are far more heinous companies that just don't fuck up.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That you still
2: patron. Uh, And if you really, really went down the rabbit hole of heinous companies that do and support the quickest, the quickest analogy. And I'll never say this in a bit because everybody said it on Twitter. And that's another thing. You got to start running your shit on Twitter. And if somebody on Twitter can think of it, it's not a good joke. Or try it, go deeper Yeah. Um, everyone's saying fuck China While texting it from an iPhone. Yes, yeah, 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 but that whole thing. Yeah. So when you talk about boycotting, just how invested are you really? Are you really? Mm -hmm. Are you really? Are you really ready to do this shit? Uh Like that type of. I am done with fossil
0: fuels. (laughs) Yeah. Have you met my horse? I got a horse. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So it's it's so it's it's that type of examination of hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and morality. Mm People thinking they're on some high horse, you know, above you. You don't want to eat Chick-fil-A and you want to make a big deal about not eating Chick-fil-A. Fine. Go right ahead. But I'm pretty sure whatever the fuck else you eat is probably connected to some fucked up shit, bro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you really sit down and follow the money, Mm -hmm. you know, but nobody wants to do that because nobody wants to know the truth about their choices because then you'd have to reconcile your behaviors and change them. And most people reject change because that requires too much work. Yeah.
0: And, and that's also one of the jobs of the comedian in this funky way is to either – you're either saying <laughs> – you're like, hey, look at you out here. You think you're being moral. You think you're being ethical, but really – and then you show the inconsistency. Correct. Or the other way around, where you, the the comedian, are going. I think this bad thing. I do this bad thing, uh, and then you either, and then people relate and they go, "Yeah, I, I do that too." I, I, I do yeah, that it's too. like
2: it's like with the um, it didn't it didn't make it into the last special when I started talking about the national anthem, but people will say they don't watch the NFL. Okay, cool. Don't watch the NFL. Kaepernick and Kaepernick and NFL don't care about black and social. Cool. But how far down this rabbit hole do you want to go of boycotting? Because ESPN shows the NFL. So maybe we shouldn't watch ESPN at all Hmm. since their biggest profit point is NFL. Doesn't ESPN also, aren't they also owned by Disney? Disney is in charge of at least... Let's just ballpark it. 15 to 20 media channels. Yeah. So you shouldn't watch any of those channels. Uh-huh. So it's fuck the NFL, but I'm also going to watch blackish on ABC. Are you complicit? I don't know. Yeah. I don't it, it's just a matter of how far down exactly. do your values go. Mm-hmm. Because then you can say fuck Disney. Well, if we're gonna say fuck Disney. Let's say fuck Disney movies. Yeah. Let's say Let's fuck all the studio movies that Disney made. Ava DuVernay did A Wrinkle in Time. That was a Disney film. So is it fuck Ava DuVernay? <laughs> I don't know. So it's, it's how far are you willing to go for? The, yeah. and, and just posing that question. And while at the same time, and this is the tougher needle to thread, while at the same time not making the people who have chosen to protest the NFL feel alienated mm. for their choice. Because I'm not here to attack you and call you dumb for choosing. I'm just here to show, let's just discuss the pineapple. And just go, all right, you're not watching NFL, but do you still watch ABC? Do you still uh, do you still watch this? Do you still do that? Do you still go to Disney movie? How do you feel now? Do you still feel like what you're doing is effectively making a dent? And whatever the fuck.
0: And that is so fun. I, it's I The problem with the I'm right comedy stuff is that they're trying to say, I'm the moral compass and I'm pointing true north. But really the best bits are when you flick the moral compass and it's spinning and people are like, I don't know where it's supposed to
2: point. Yeah, that's my thing. It's just one big fat. I don't know. I know it's not that definitively. It is many things. And it also means turning the mirror on yourself and calling yourself out on your own bullshit mm-hmm. and stuff as well. So that's what I try to build. But that's the part of the bit that takes the longest to do is do creating mean? that trust. Like, oh, I'll, here's... You want some morality. <laughs> here's a fucking line that'll never go on stage. And I've tried it a million different ways. <laughs> I've said it while smiling. I I I've, I've tried to watch myself perform certain material and clock my facial expressions during the worst parts of the bit, during the most astringent parts of the bit. And a cheap trick that I found that works half of the time is to smile while saying the horrible thing. And usually it can get you through. Um, I had a line that was supposed to go into the police reform stuff that didn't make the special, um, which is also, I don't understand why cops want to shoot innocent people if and they get away with it why would you put yourself through all that trouble of shooting an innocent person maybe being arrested maybe being found guilty and then having to go to jail if you really want to kill innocent people you don't join the cops yeah. you join the military yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's Oof.
0: I mean, that's that's yeah, a that's hard really line hard. that is drawn in the sand about the military. But, yeah.
2: the, but the problem is that it's an absolutism, which isn't good. Because I'm saying that all of the military is bad and, all of the, and that's not what I'm trying to convey in that sentence. But that's how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect how it's heard, not what your intentions were. So ah. it's just been a bit that I have to tweak. And even if I get that line right, I still have to decide, is it worth saying that? To get the laugh that comes after the laugh that comes after that has to be twice as good as this is bad. And I can't I don't have a punchline yet that justifies that thesis statement at the top, because that line is to be a window into how so much corruption in the military is for all of the police corruption we argue about and the cops that are found not guilty is. Thousands of more troops doing horrible things and sullying the name of the American soldier that are never even brought to trial.
1: And there's no like citizens with like uh, iPhones that are sending or putting them on Facebook live for us. There's zero checks and
2: balances in that. And so, you know, the government covers a lot of that up. Well, yeah.
0: they, 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 used to allow those checks and balances. That was called Vietnam, <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, "This is a really bad idea. Yeah. Free press in the middle of a combat zone? Are you joking? Whoops. Never again!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, "That's what they never forget." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny.
2: laughs> you might have just fixed a bit. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, th- so it's it's fun to it's fun to, as I call it's fun to juggle dynamite, but you better be ready. Because every now and then you're going to drop a stick of it.
0: So you, you said something really uh, fascinating to me. So you said um, it's not, it doesn't matter what your intent is. It matters how it's heard, at least on stage, right? Yeah. Because nobody's going to be like, you know what I think he was feeling?
2: <laughs> Bill Burr got misunderstood in his last Netflix, in the Paper Tiger special. Somebody hollered out something at him that clearly was right. the counter to what he had said, right. just literally in real time. Right, right. There's a specific story
0: that we heard that we want to know a little bit more about that's just about this. It was about the Ferguson riots, and you said a woman cornered you about it.
2: I got chin-checked on stage by someone that lived in Ferguson about something I'd said. It was a bit that I was starting to work through about police reform, and the bit Mm. swayed a little too much pro-cop. Was this the beginning of the bit we
1: just listened to? Was this like yes. kind of like the percolation? Yes, the Pay Cops More bit. The early days of the
2: Pay Cops More so. bit almost got me run out of St. Louis. Yeah. And it's a joke that I probably should have developed in New York City in one of them safe incubator new joke nights. But mm-hmm. you got to know what the, what the joke going to do on the road or else you will know whether or not you got shit in yeah. response. What specifically,
0: like, how did that go? How did you deal with it? What was the thought process for you during and
2: then after? Your, your comedy show has to turn into a town hall immediately if i'm giving if i'm saying something that has how i choose to run my show is if i say something that rubs you such a wrong way that you feel the need to speak out about it then that's just to me i don't look at it as heckling i look at it as feedback Mm. because if you didn't say shit that means the last three nights I've been doing this joke, somebody's been thinking the same thing as you and maybe misinterpreting me Yeah, and leaving my show thinking that I'm that horrible person. That you got hate in your heart. Who belie- yeah. That has hate in his heart yeah. against my own people on top of that uh-huh. yeah. where this issue was concerned. So, no, baby, explain it to me. And she stood up and yelled and blah, blah, blah. And that's what the hell is going on. And that's what's really happening in these streets. You ain't here. You don't know that. Yeah. And how did, you, how did you learn to
0: do that? Because that's a fucking terrifying moment for a lot of comics. Mm. To they, they, they have this idea that, like, I'm giving control away and an oh no, oh shit.
2: You merge in with them. Mm-hmm. You don't go against them. Because if I go against her, if I, I, I got two paths, I can go, sit down, bitch, this is my show. I got the microphone. They paid to see me talk. Ain't nobody paid to see you talk. (laughs) Bitch, your name ain't on the sign out front. And she's in wild pain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's on me. So I have to own the fact that I juggled dynamite and I dropped a stick. Mm -hmm. And this lady blew the fuck up on me. Because if I'm doing a bit about why we should be nicer to cops in a city where cops have been traditionally terrible to black people. Mm -hmm shit might go wrong. And if it does, I can only stand to learn something from that. Mm -hmm. Cause this lady had been laughing up until this point. That's the other thing. She wasn't no drunk disruptor. I said something that touched a nerve and there was nothing that I could do with that bit. There was nothing that I could do with that, with that top. There was nothing about that topic that she was ever going to find funny Mm. in the way that I presented it that night. Mm -hmm. So the first thing becomes, this goes back to the mandate of, of of taking in information on the issue, because I thought I'd seen all the different sides and prisms of this issue. So I thought I was speaking. I thought I had crafted a bit that spoke to the concerns of the black community and the concerns of people. That's all blue lives matter. Mm-hmm. I thought that I had a bit that was balanced based on the media that I consume surrounding this topic. But here I have right in front of me in real time, a woman who is telling me that ain't what the fuck is real. Mm-hmm. So, all right, what is real? She starts spouting off this, this, and and before that, the city, blah, blah, blah. And that cop already had X, Y, Z complaints, and we knew about them. The city knew about them, blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, and somewhere in there, God, she had so many specifics. Somewhere yeah. in there, though, is a joke on the perimeter of the issue. Uh-huh. So then that becomes, that's the that's the Jedi mind trick I learned at the Daily Show, <laughs> which is... And you're an ex-Jedi, right? Yeah, I'm an ex-Jedi. I got kicked out the council. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a bit, the issue might not be funny, but the person or people surrounding the issue, whoever mis- whoever was the fuck up in this story, they're the joke. So in that moment... She's rattling off all of the misinformation that's coming from the media. She's rattling off all the state people and the city officials that have fucked up and and just how long this police department has been bad. Yeah. And the first joke is about one of those people that she hates. Wait, what's his name? His name is such and such well, y'all need to go slap the shit out of him. (laughs) First laugh. First laugh since that. First laugh since the outburst. Uh Uh-huh. So now at least they're all laughing again, and she know. And the laugh is with her, and uh-huh. not against her. Uh-huh.
1: Oh, nice! Yes,
2: she's so, part of the laugh. Oh, she you made hate it. somebody? Well, you know what? I hate him too. We should all go do a thing to him. Uh-huh. Let's Google him. Matter of fact, pull out your phone. Let's Google where he live. <laughs> you go back to somebody that you talked to at the beginning of the show earlier on. Mm -hmm. Hey man, pull out your phone. No man, you know what? You got a raggedy phone. Your phone probably can't even Google. That's an iPhone too. (laughs) Over here. Mm -hmm. Can you Google? Anyway, I'm sorry, but keep going. And that helped me create a little bit of a bond with her. And then after that, the joke becomes about how quickly she set me straight Mm -hmm. because she did set me straight. So you just have to own the real in the real moment. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I know that came, I know that joke came out wrong, but I'm with you, I understand that, blah, 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 y'all give her a round of applause, man, ma'am, thank you, so we're going to talk after the show, because I want to know more Mm -hmm. about this. Which is a true statement. Yeah. We're gonna talk about the show. I wanna know more about this. Y'all don't fuck around in St. Louis, boy. Y'all set a motherfucking straight. Yeah. You say yeah. one wrong thing. That ain't what nah, nah, nah. that's who you want with you when you're at a restaurant and your food wrong. Ha
1: <laughs> ha that's great.
0: Yeah.
2: That ain't what we ordered. It was the mayor who decided that we wasn't even gonna get the toppings on the pizza that we were supposed to get. His name is Don Terry. <laughs> that's amazing. And now we're back into the bit. Right. And so you ba- you went back into the bed? Yeah, I went back into the back half of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, yeah, <fuck>. that's <laughs> yeah. But in the moment as it's happening, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh shit, how do I fuck? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know yeah. Fucking, somebody's gonna pull their phone out and it's gonna be on DMG. <laughs> some lady had a meltdown and but show fuck. <laughs> You you find a joke within what they're mad about. and You find a joke about them being mad about Mm -hmm. the joke.
1: How do you identify Mm -hmm. if the person calling you out in the middle of the joke is valid or not? You know, sometimes you got to listen like you had to listen to her because she had incredible critique.
2: Yeah. What's that judgment call like for you? Yeah. Yeah, You just listen. I mean, there's people that just yell. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't need to hear anything from you. I've. i've read your reddit page Uh, (laughs) Uh, reddit oh that's giving a lot of credit (laughs) i know i know what you're about to say but usually the more complicated the joke if you dare to speak out Mm -hmm. then it's probably something that was really worth yeah that was really worthwhile
0: so you seem to work hard to keep your mind open to new perspectives how did that willingness to question your own values come about is that, were you raised that way? Did you have an experience? Say that like, again. Okay. So you, you, you seem to work hard to keep your mind open to new information and new perspectives and then also have a willingness to go, okay, that's new data. All right. I'm going to shift. I'm going to pivot on what I just learned. That is, um, uh, first of all, love it. Second of all, did you, were you always like that? Did you have an experience that got you to that point? And how did you then bring that on stage?
2: I think that comedy has to be reflective of the times. Um and so people change. You know, the world changes. Um I'd say journalism to some degree mm. probably influenced that and
0: one oh five point seven.
2: To be VHD <laughs> <you know, South laughs> Um I think working I think working in journalism, especially also morning radio, because morning radio is your job as a morning radio DJ is to capture the tone of the day and solely that day. Mm-hmm. And that is constantly evolving. And it's kind of like, even from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. The style of radio is different in the six o'clock hour versus the nine o'clock hour. So it's acknowledging that people are changing and as people change your abilities and how you connect with them have to change. And I just think it just made me a better performer. I don't, I, I look at comedy. I look at comedy as a form of journalism. And oh. so if journalism is reflecting the times in which we live, then you have to be constantly in tune with the times. That Otherwise, checks out
1: because of the daily show actually. Cause I remember when I was in college and like Obama was running I remember like the only news source we really trusted was John Stewart at the time. Or yeah. it's like I just don't know. I don't want to watch yeah, CNN. It's
2: like comedy's journalism. You either reporting on yourself or you're reporting on the world. Mhm. I mean, and like Chris Rock Chris Rock's Bring the Pain is essentially it's a it's 60 minutes. It's Yeah. Here's the issue and let me analyze why this issue the pros and cons of this issue like Yeah. Like um like the niggas versus black people bit. That's just you know, there's a division in the black community that a lot of people are not aware of. Mm-hmm. And it seems that affluent black people and more shystery black people are having some conflicts. Let's examine some of these and that's a bit if you didn't know that about the black community, you've just been informed mm-hmm, about something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's journal journalism's job is I,
0: I grew up in Montana. I grew up sheltered mm-hmm. i did there was a because we're the same age mm-hmm. and like i this is so pre-internet right so i didn't, I couldn't just google and find stuff out i had three channels that i was not allowed to watch so <laughs> like, so like i i was in this bubble of of like of hyper religion and in the middle of nowhere where time doesn't really move in montana so nothing made it through that filter really yeah. then george carlin came through town and I was even exposed to the idea of a comedian. <laughs> and then I started to, I worked at a video store at the time. Uh, oh no. And I would check out George Carlin and watch it like pornography at night yeah. when my parents were asleep. Jamming so, in New York. And I remember, and it taught me so much. And I credit that with like that, that journalism, that information which
2: widening my perspective. Hundred percent journalism,
1: and a lot of times it's the only. It's like the initial journalism to trust. Like Lenny Bruce was getting arrested because he was being too honest. Like it's like yeah. Sometimes it's the first person to really report on the story honestly. Yeah,
2: it's like oh, they're trying to shut him the fuck up. Ooh, let's see what this is. Yeah, yeah. That's why you like watching Vice because every reporter is getting shot at oh, I like
1: that's kind of also why the like outrage blogs on like Bill Burr's Paper Tigers, sticks and stones, like it's it's not even worth watching. He's he's super trans, and it's like. What you're really doing in this moment is you're advertising how good this is because it is (laughs) counterculture now. Or maybe not as good as it is, but how interesting it could be.
2: Yeah, if it's not worth watching, you saying it's not worth watching makes it more worth watching. Yeah, yeah. From when I was young to now,
0: the line for what is sort of punishable in the zeitgeist, that moral line for what can get you fired, has changed so much. Back when I was young and definitely before my time— it was like the Christian right. It was those values, those family values. If you didn't say anything on TV that was against that, there could be such an outpouring of physically written letters yeah. that you would lose your job. But now it's flipped, and now it's like the social justice warriors, if they get too upset, you can lose your job. So the the the, the mechanism of of, uh, of ganging up and getting that person fired is the same, but the reasons and the people doing it have changed.
2: Yeah, and it'll continue to change. That's why I don't understand why comedians are all, you got to get back to the way it was. Motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's always been somebody that's going to say, You shouldn't say that, and I'm going to come for your money somehow. Yeah. That has always been the case. Yeah. Since Lenny Bruce opened his mouth, there's always been someone saying, you shouldn't say that. All right, we used to say that, but don't say that. Yeah. And in 10 years, there'll be a new thing that we can't say. And it's just more groups have voices now, and they don't want to hear that shit no more. So. Keep saying it, but just know that it's going to come with a cost. Right. Everything has. You can say anything you want, but there's consequences. Yeah. It used to be free. Now it ain't no more. My fucking Mm -hmm. nugget sauce used to be free. Yeah. (laughs) Now now it's a quarter. That's the game. You know, so you can't. All this bellyaching about, man, I can't even say what I used to say no more. No, you can. Yeah. It's just a different—it's a different—the sandbox has been redefined.
1: Also, if you're going to be—if you want to do, quote-unquote, like, offensive comedy, then why don't you find a new creative way to be offensive as a comedian? Why do you have to, like, harp on these mechanisms that we used in the past that are kind of hacks now? It's almost like hack offensive comedy.
2: Yeah, stylistically, there's new—because if there's new lines, then there's new ways to offend. So there's probably something— more explorative in that world. That's more interesting to me, (laughs) honestly. I don't know. I just, I have fun. I have fun still pushing the envelope, but at my best, I'd try to hang the audience off of a cliff Mm -hmm. and then yo-yo them back. Mm Mm-hmm. Rather than completely drop them over the cliff and crash and burn all of their expectations and beliefs and step on them,
0: I think that that probably comes from. I'm gonna be talking out of school here, but it seems like you bring a lot of love on stage.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I'm not. I'm not up there to go to war. I'm yeah. not putting a hard head on before I get up there. Um, also, it's more fun to from an emotional. Why do you ride a roller coaster? You ride a roller coaster because it's oh shit! I might die. Who? I didn't die. Yeah, man, I thought I was gonna die. Man, I didn't die. Man, that was good. Um, uh-huh. That's the type of jokes that I enjoy hearing. Those so those are the type of jokes I enjoy writing. Is figuring out oh shit, he's gonna say the wrong thing. Man, that ha-ha. was all right. Uh, yeah. That was all right. Yeah, yeah it's
0: always that tension and Yeah, release. Yeah, right? that's
2: versus just coming on stage and just, ha-ha, that was funny. Good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which just works for plenty of comedians. But totally. for me, I need to get something out of this too. Yeah. And the only way to heighten the, the thrill of being on stage in front of strangers every night, which in and of itself is its own adrenaline rush, I've now heightened it by going, will they all hate me? By the end of my set, yeah. And if they don't, then I've done a really, really good job.
1: What would you say to young comics? Because I feel like I'm at a I'm I'm about to hit six years, and I'm in this place where maybe like, like when I'm first excited about a bit that like builds tension, and then I know I'm going to relieve it. Um, a lot of for most of the performances, I'll I'll feel like oh I'm going to relieve this tension, but I'll I'll have that anxious moment um before i'm about to relieve that tension where i'm like oh fuck like i might i might I, am i freaking them out too much like maybe i'm like i feel like a lot of comedians go through that it's kind of that change from doing like the ha ha's to the like let's think ha material what are some what's some advice you'd have for younger comics when they're maybe going through that anxious period and how they could maybe not feel so insecure when they have a good joke and they're uh, just worried they might. It's hard to trust
2: the material because some nights the material betrays you inexplicably and Mm. there's no reason why. Some nights the joke just doesn't work. Could you Um, give an example of the situation maybe? Well, I mean, just if you have a bit and Monday through Wednesday, the bit works fine on stage. Then Thursday you do the bit, perform it the same way verbatim, and it just doesn't get the laugh that it normally does. Um it's not fearing the Thursday performance. So like, that's hard. (laughs) So it's, it's the, it's the arrogance. You have to possess the arrogance of it's not me. It's you. You know, in within certain bits, there's certain jokes that just ain't funny. If, it, if the joke fails Monday through Thursday, yeah, you need to go fucking listen to audio. <laughs> yeah. you know. But if you have a joke that by and large works fine, then in those moments of quietness where there's anxiousness, you can first acknowledge the tension, mm-hmm. which gets you a quick laugh to bridge some of that to make you feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But slowly wean yourself off of acknowledging the tension and instead try to live in the silence and not be afraid of the silence because to exist confident to exist confidently in silence in and of itself is stage presence. And it makes the audience trust you, especially when there's a laugh on the other side of the silence. So if you don't like the silence, you can acknowledge it and that gets you a cheap laugh or a quick smirk. Yeah. Can get you, you know, like a, quick little smile uh, don't wink that's too 80s um you know but this is this goes I back to i was
1: saying because 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 like yeah. maybe like just like there's more to this
2: this also goes back to the brain game shit mm-hmm. where you look people in the eye when you're doing certain bits none of that forehead back of the room triangulate three different points at all times look motherfuckers square in the eyes on bits that work earlier on if you've exuded command of the stage up until that point, Mm -hmm. then they'll trust you in that silence, but you have to earn that with the previous jokes. Yes. So if there's a lack of confidence or looking down and not looking at people and your chin on your chest, a lot of it is posture as well. Mm -hmm. Square your shoulder to the audience Mm -hmm. every now and then. Like those things read as assuredness instead of unassuredness. So, you know, I, I think, if there's any advice to young comics I would give, it's watch yourself on mute and read your body language. Ooh. Cool. Read your body language. Fuck the joke. What is your body saying? Uh-huh. Your body speaks before you. So if you're not even in any that that's something there's a reason why you can watch Sebastian Maniscalco on mute and he still makes you laugh. Like there you can see the contemplation and and I don't think his physicality is so extreme that like some, I heard some comic call him a physical comic, and I'm like, mm, I don't know.
1: There is some subtleties to the way. It's just like very minor. It's expression. demonstrative, yeah.
2: But it ain't physical comedy. It's not Tommy Davidson. Like to <laughs> yeah. me, like it's not where my body is part of the instrument of the comedy. But in a way, like it Delia is. or
1: Young Dane, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's
2: it's it's there's something subtle to it, and that's something that you know. I've never talked to Sebastian about that specifically, but. If you watch a lot of his early specials, watch his early, watch one or two of his first hour specials Mm -hmm. and then watch the one he just dropped and watch them both on mute and you'll see the difference. Wow. Yeah. And so that's something that when it comes to helping, like little shit, man, stop playing with the fucking mic cord. Yeah. You know, like focus. (laughs) Yeah. Those things help.
0: Thank you so much for all the Venmos and the Patreon support. We really appreciate it, you angels. If you've gotten something from our show and you'd like to give back some other way, then follow us on Instagram and Twitter. The way it works now is that we as comics get work based off of our followings. So do us a favor, pause real quick, and go to Instagram and follow Jeff McBride Comic and Harrison.Tweed. That's on Instagram. And then the pod handle, if you want to follow the pod, is just Let's Talk About Sets. And also, please follow the pod on Twitter, if you do Twitter, that's at Let's Talk Sets. Thank you so much. The links will be in the show notes. One of the things I've sort of noticed as a through line, as we did our research, is you seem to have a very clear distinction, both in your comedy and in your in some of the things that you've done to get where you are, between actual morals things that matter and just rules in a system that <laughs> like ethical like like things that people call ethical like like the the tricks you've played you told the radio station that you were going to be working for the club and you told the club that you were they going to be just working got for the hired radio... at the radio. Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And then, and then you just
0: try to make sure that those two guys didn't talk <laughs> at the same yeah. and show. And
2: then at the event, the radio station saw me host at the comedy club. Right. The comedy club right. let me host cause they thought I was working for the radio station. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the radio station came up to me at the end of my performance and said, you're great. You should come work you, for you, us.
0: Yes. So clever, clever, clever shit. It, it, how on the other hand, like, like, Oh, I would have such a hard time doing that even though – because I can't distinguish – that well between genuine morality Genuine like like this there are Things this is this is right and wrong In the in the grander scope of things and Well I shouldn't do that because because that's I'd be
2: lying I mean like, yeah you Would be lying <laughs> but what is the penalty for it Right it's yeah. and, yes. and it's
1: victimless too Yes Correct. More, it, more people
2: laughed What did I do other than be on stage not Get paid and be funny for your fucking comedy Show <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What crime what did I do Nothing. Yeah. No, yeah, I didn't do shit other than that and yeah. then In exchange I got a live audition in front of a radio yeah. station that i needed to help build my growth as a performer right mm-hmm. and it, and it's in a system that's rigged to be hard but if i presented it like that if i presented it like that and asked the comedy club can i host for the radio night pretty please because i really need to rate a day to him and hard and i don't know and uh-huh. let me talk to uh-huh. fucking jeff and tony uh-huh. and can you send us a tape fuck that I work at the radio station, and they're going to be here. So you have to accept my presence as if I'm with the station. Uh, see, and that's that, to me, I, what I, is, is, is so clear on it. <laughs> like, I can just hear it in your voice. lie. Yeah. <laughs> I, and it's not a lie. So I used to make tapes. I, I would make, to get booked as a feature in the South. Yeah, this is the... the uh, tape snippet. Oh, it's so clever. To get booked as a feature in the South... They wanted a 30-minute tape. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a 30-minute tape because nobody would let me fucking feature. Mm -hmm. So how the fuck do you make a 30-minute tape if you can't feature to make the... But to feature, you need a 30-minute tape, but you don't have a 30-minute tape because nobody let you fucking feature. So (laughs) for MC weekend at a club, I wore the same outfit every show, six shows, um, Thursday through Sunday or whatever. Yeah. I wore the same outfit six nights. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, Set up a camera in the middle of the room. Yeah. Same spot for the first show. Did you cut a hole in the carpet just to make sure you knew right away? Framed it up where I cropped out the crowd just perfectly. <laughs> next oh, night God. from the left. Next night from the right. Each night I did 10 different minutes of material. That's. Mm-hmm. And when I walked on stage, and I'm emceeing, I'd walk on stage. i go, how y'all doing tonight? One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Little bit about me. I'm from such and such and such and such. So every night I'd start so I when I went and post to edit this, I started every fucking I would you t- you'd see ten minutes of material and it would cut to the three Mississippi, two Mississippi, one Mississippi, and then I would start the next topic. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like the silence was a segue when in actuality it was the beginning of another MC set that you just didn't And you'd cut, cut to the other angle. And I cut to the other angle. So you saw 30 contiguous minutes of material, which is what you asked for. Mm-hmm. You said you need to see a 30-minute tape. Well, bitch, you ain't say it got to be all the same night. <laughs> <laughs> it's 30 minutes. Yeah. All in one fucking clean, same venue. And that tape got me feature work. That's amazing. So was that, did I, did I lie? Or did I not? (laughs) When you got motherfuckers putting TV credits on their resume, and this is back before you could verify an IMDB and fucking pull up the clip on YouTube, but guys would just list channels Uh on their bio to get booked. I never did that. I always thought that was dirty pool. But, you know, there's just just grifts in the system that you have to find as a comic that are always changing and evolving and exploit them. Like yeah, okay,
0: great. That thank you. I just wanted to point that out because at the same time you're it's so like I just I just love the clarity. That's like, where
2: doing all that crime and shit benefited me later on in my career where I was like, Oh, I know how to be shady. <laughs> Let me dig up some of these old Goldie oldie fucking hits. You're like, if I could steal jeans, I can
0: get on this show. Yeah, I can lie my way onto a can... fucking radio station
1: job what's the best advice you've ever been given by another comedian either senior or contemporary that uh allowed you uh more knowledge about working out material like maybe some wisdom that they gave you
2: uh they never gave it to me personally but i w- i've watched chris rock work out our specials uh-huh on the road like when i was still living in birmingham doesn't he, he take out through, all inflection takes out all inflection and yeah. it's the Biggest thing I learned, and it's not something I can apply. Yeah. But when Chris Rock is working on new material, there is no delivery afflictions. There's no performative anything. It's the joke itself alone has to be stellar. Uh huh. And then when I put all of that Chris Rock on it, now it's fucking legendary. Yeah. And like just observing that, I watched him work out bigger and blacker. Yeah. In Birmingham. And to see oh, a two hour raw cut and then see the polished product on HBO, my brain was fucking blown. Yeah. Just down to the verbiage and the order of the material and everything. You know, the club wouldn't let me wouldn't let me leave with the tape, but they got the RAWs at the club. and yeah. I sat and watched that and then went home immediately and watched the HBO <laughs> version. I was like, oh Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um it was him. Um, Arsenio Hall gave me some good advice. Um, and that was personal. Advice. Oh, I
1: love this advice. I've heard it before, um, but I went on to hear I, it again.
2: <laughs> I was on Star Search and got eliminated. And the judge just said some slick shit to me. And I almost walked over there. B2K. To yeah. <laughs> I almost walked over there to do something to him on live TV. I just wasn't thinking. And Arsenio like just gently pulled the tail of my suit. <laughs> To just on live television, he goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. like, literally telling me, don't fucking walk over there. Don't <laughs> do that. And when we went to commercial break, he said, nobody remembers bad jokes. Everyone remembers a bad attitude. Yes.
0: I, I quote that to so many people. That was a turning point for me as a person. <laughs> I heard you say that.
2: When you think about all the bad jokes and all the bombs, nobody remembers. Nobody yes. can ever tell you. Everyone will tell you their favorite comedian. Nobody will tell you their worst. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody but, can name their worst. Everybody opinion. will yeah. tell
0: about when somebody loses it.
2: Yeah, they they love when the you snap and flip out uh-huh. like that. They will always Michael re- Richards. Do, do you think <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you think uh your com, or no, do you think your morals as a human being wherever was ever shaped by any stand-up comedy you ever you saw or maybe just worldview
2: Carlin Carlin Rock um
1: they're very similar, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Carlin Rock and Martin Lawrence. Those were the three. And oh, Sinbad. Yeah. Sinbad. Sinbad. Um Sinbad has always maintained a likability. Sinbad's another one that you should watch with no volume.
1: Uh-huh. Unbombable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone told me a story about him once that he performed at a casino during a snowstorm and a couple came in five minutes before he closed. Because they were stuck behind a snowplow oh on, on the I think on the on the highway. This is going. And they couldn't they just couldn't get to the show. They oh, were stuck behind god. a snow plow. And they walk in five minutes before the show uh. ended, and he told the rest of the audience, Y'all can go home, but I'm doing another hour. Oh my god. Them. Ah. The yeah. audience stays. He does another hour of fresh material. This <laughs> motherfucker had an hour in his back pocket. An fuck? extra hour a spare hour. Dude. <laughs> It's one of the greatest stand-up stories I've ever heard. That's incredible. Did another hour for two
1: people. It's like the Black Brian Regan.
2: Okay, yeah, it's crazy. When you're working on
0: tougher material, stuff that deals with (laughs) presses that line of morality, and you're dancing along on it. You're going around and you're working on it in different places. Do you adjust how you do it depending on the demographic of where you are? Or do you stick to your guns and go, this is how I'm going to do it
2: here and see how it lands? I stick to the guns. Before I worked my hour special, before I took my last special out in Chicago, I ran it in Peoria, which to me is quintessential Trump country right-wing ideology. Let's see what they Uh think Uh about this material because if I can get a laugh out of them with this— then you for sure got something. Mm-hmm. Is that
0: a is that like a privilege of being at the point where you are right now? Because right now we're just trying to get work.
2: But, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's certain rooms when I'm working out the hour, but and this is when you're getting ready to put it on TV. So this is when you're putting it up in a gym, you're starting to spar uh-huh. a little bit and really create the material and whittle it down sentence by sentence. Um, no, I don't want to adjust it for demos because then I'm a different comedian everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. This is the joke. And this mm-hmm. is the joke that I have rehearsed, and this is the joke you will get tonight. Yeah. Be it Phoenix, be it like I was in Bloomington, Indiana, two weeks ago, and that's Straight Farm, and that's Mike Pence. Fucking, like yeah. I'm in Atlantic City tonight, and then in two weeks, I'm in San Francisco, which is free thinking, liberal love. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change the joke. I'm going to do the same joke. And you just hope that they understand. Where you're coming from? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: you're communicating you're... the joke. Maybe correct. Yeah, the, the, I guess the only do thing time. the
2: only thing I might change, based on demo, is the joke order. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll reorder my set so that you there. So wh- why? If it's so they can trust your heart. From... If it's a if it's a right wing crowd, I'm not going to start with political material. Uh-huh. I'm going to make you love me first, and then after you love me for fifteen twenty minutes. Then I'm going to fucking break your heart a little bit. And then I'm going to come back to more material that you're cool with. And you'll be there. Whereas if I start with that, so many people are exasperated on hearing political material. They're going to check out for the rest of my set. Uh Oh shit. Here we go with this Trump shit. Let's go, Mary. Get the fuck out of here. Oh yeah. yeah. But if I start out with 20 minutes of connectors, the common denominators. So the common denominators, no matter demographic and all of that shit is relationships, food, sports mm-hmm. those are the three to me those are the three topics no matter if it's old people or college students we can connect everybody's trying to fucking stick something in a hole we all got to eat something <laughs> we all got to fucking t- stick something. everybody's trying to bust a nut everybody's trying to eat yeah and y'all got a team you're root for yeah Eighty-five tonight. Even if you don't, I mean, some people have a hole they want to put that... <laughs> yeah, some people put food in the hole. So if I if I'm working on new material that falls in one of the common denominators, I'll go there. Like right now, I have a bit about cashew allergy, so that falls under food. I'm working some on my son, uh-huh. which is relationship and sex a little bit. So I'll start there. Then I'll go into fucking Vietnam, man. And you weren't there, yeah, but. I ain't starting with Vietnam and the troops right, right, and right, PTSD. Right, right. You just, you can't specifically, how do you organize your material? How do you
0: keep it straight for yourself? How's that evolved evolve over time?
2: Um, I still keep a meat five star three subject notebook college ruled where I keep the run sheets of every show that I've performed the order of the jokes in a separate notebook are the transcriptions of thoughts and short thoughts and things that I may be feeling. And then in a word document, the jokes that are a little more, they get called up from the minors. Those jokes get worked out verbatim on the computer. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I like to look at the run sheets because the run sheets, I can go, fuck, what was that joke I did eight months ago? Turn page, turn page, turn page, turn page, find it. Oh, there it is. There's a joke. And if I don't put it in a run sheet, I'm fucked because then I have to go through the audio in my phone and mm-hmm. scrub through hours of audio to find the bits. And that's that's why I don't like relying on electronics. I tend to do everything the way I always did it back before I had electronics at my disposal to make things easier. Also, it makes things easier to commit to memory. If I physically write out my set and in my phone, I have set lists and the bullet points or whatever. And that gets you through an eight minute set in Brooklyn. But if I'm in yeah. Tampa for a weekend, I need the notebook. Yeah. Because I also want to be able to go back and look and see, well, what did I talk about last year Yeah, when I was here? So oh, last year's run. It's so smart. Oh, here's the shit I said last year. Don't say that shit. Or, Oh, that was a germination of a bit. Stop doing that. Slip my mind for some reason. Yeah. Let's bring that bit on back to the foreground. Uh-huh. Do you think
1: if you do the road, um, do you think when you, when you consider things like the road, if you're like a New York comic or an L.A. comic, that that has to be rural road? Or do you think like it, it, you gain as much experience? Because I've noticed uh, like I've performed outside of New York and it's been Burlington, Philly, Raleigh uh, and um, one other place in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I guess Jacksonville is the more. The I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the most pronounced difference. Do you think I should be focusing more on, on places like Jeff's been doing like rural America and I feel like I've been sticking to cities. Do you think I'm, I'm not tasting enough of the country? I don't think
2: there's a right or wrong choice. Okay. Um, I look at, I will say to comics that are listening that are road comics, Uh you don't need to do it for more than five years before you move to a coast. You're struggling. You're not making a lot of money. You may as well be broke in a city that has a more supportive network of people that are trying to do what you do uh-huh. so, that you feel, so that you don't feel as emotionally alone. Uh-huh. And you also don't have to look to strangers for inspiration. That's the biggest problem with the South and the Midwest is that I mean, it might be better now because Atlanta has a community. Nashville has a community. But yeah, that, that, like But in 98, that wasn't the case. Yeah, There was no community. It was just you from Atlanta, but you also drive around. Uh-huh. You couldn't just Live stay out your in the city and do shit week in and week out. I so, talk about that. It's you different know, now. You can do, you can do, I do think that getting out of town as much as you can helps to balance your material because mm-hmm. if you write in a bubble and then you get your ass out in Louisville or Columbus, Ohio, and get hit in the mouth and realize they don't give a fuck about the train jokes mm-hmm. that you've perfected and they don't give a fuck about Soul Cycle. It's a fucking <laughs> fat gravy. Yeah, I wrote jokes here in state.
0: New York for six years, to, trying to develop, and then finally, I've, for the last five months, I've been on the road pretty much constantly and learning how to make them laugh. At <laughs> those jokes has been. Awesome and painful. (laughs) Yeah.
2: The trick is to not tell it from a place of relatability like they already know. You Mm -hmm. take it from a place of informativeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if it's something they don't know shit about, add a beat of educating them about the topic. Mm -hmm. In New York, we have the train. I know out here, y'all just got a dude named Chuck who just fucking has a van. (laughs) I'm sure Chuck's a nice guy, but we have trains. Like it's just, you know, whatever, however you want to walk them through it without being condescending. Of course I know what a train is. motherfucker. I just, I guess I have to thank you
1: because uh, you and Bill Burr, I've heard on podcasts and you kind of informed the way I work through material from room to room. Cause I'm mostly stuck in New York, but it's like New York's great because there's so many different neighborhoods with so many different demographics and, um. So, but you talked about like going to clubs. Like, make sure you go to clubs. See, kind of like that mainstream vibe. Like, how do how does it hit there? Also, hit the alt scene. Kind of maybe like yeah. Brooklyny crowds. And for me, I have, to hit, I have well, to hit black, black rooms. I have to hit black rooms too. That I feel like in Harlem and Brooklyn, black rooms like can differ
2: considerably, or like go up to the Bronx. Try being not from New York and being black and going to yeah, ones. it's a whole different. You know, thing.
1: Norlex Belma. Uh, no, I don't know him. He's a well. He's a black comic, and we he kind of like he kind of checked my privilege as a white guy in black rooms because I was like, I feel like free there. I can just be myself, and he's like, that's a white privilege thing. That's because <laughs> that's you're coming in with a blank slate. It's like, yeah. oh, this is a kooky yeah, that's white right. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Yeah, there's a freedom to that, but it's yeah. important because a lot of my material does, you know, or at least I hope speaks in support mm-hmm. of black issues. So I have to go to those rooms and make sure that the facts check out. Yeah. And then make sure that it's funny to them first because it's for them. Yes. And that's what I learned in St. Louis Uh is that if this shit ain't for black people, it don't matter who the fuck was it. Because people was laughing up until when that lady interrupted. Mm -hmm. But that lady, that's who the stand-up is for because she's the one that needs to know she's not alone. Ah,
0: Yes, yes. And And being able to do those jokes to the people that that they involve – is Correct. such a th- I mean that's I
2: don't yeah know what to say, everybody but... else is extra gravy but yeah. you know these jokes are for y'all that's why I, shoot, I shot my first special in Atlanta and shot that that one in Chicago in some black ass cities. But is it left black people going and, but some the other shit? one in Wisconsin. <laughs> the album in Wisconsin. Yeah, that, yeah. But that wasn't a joke. I really could only afford to shoot.
0: We, to we heard them. it. We were going to play that bit. We'll probably yeah. t- toss it in and post. It's so funny as yeah. you just tell them flat out. The
2: dude who recorded that album for me lived in Wisconsin. He said, I'll drive over to <laughs> Appleton. I said, cool. That's crazy. Because I couldn't afford to fly him and put him in a hotel. They seemed like an awesome crowd. It was great. They down. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was white as fuck. It was like yeah. 90% white people, but... Yeah. Again, told my jokes. Yeah, yeah. Those were my jokes. Like I, I didn't love your, I love your
1: riff about you finally got to meet a Green Bay Packer. You'll just tell your friends.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is Greg Jennings. Yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me, man.
0: Oh yeah, dude. Oh, Thank you so much for coming on, this. man. Thank you so much. Um, Fucking deep. Talk deep. Yeah, man. We'll do our plugs and shit later. Uh just uh out of respect. Yeah, just to go time.
2: to my website. Yeah. I don't I get <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, all right. Cool. <laughs> trying to explain to my manager, well, why, would you, why would you tape a CD in Wisconsin? You, you, you're black. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. I am black. This is the cheapest place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most commiss- and I come here and I wanted to do my city because y'all always show. it's just fucking cheap. Yeah. That's why I'm here. It's cool. Y'all can take a picture with me after the show and tell all your friends you met a Green Bay Packer. You won't know. They have helmets on. You don't know what they look like. Who is he? that's Grant Jennings, baby. Trust me, that's Grant Jennings. Play with Aaron Rodgers. let some balls from Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk
0: about sets. Let's talk about sets. Talk about sets.